All right, John chapter number four. John chapter four. It's been some time since we've had a Wednesday night podcast. Um, we have, uh, for about six weeks now, been meeting in Bible study. Um, the It's a good time to talk about the origination of Wednesday night. Uh, Wednesday night is, is of course, uh, nothing nothing that is mandated in the scriptures um, it is it is was initially started by churches in the south that um, got together to pray during the war between the states and um, and so they Folks would get together. They would pray for uh, America. They would pray for uh, their their sons. They would pray for the troops. They would pray for the war situation. America was at war with itself, and so churches on Wednesday night would begin to meet, and and that's why we begin to call it Wednesday night prayer meeting. Well, it began to evolve naturally, and in some respects, a lot of folks just—it's just another serve, just like Wednesday nights are really no different. Uh, I know when I was in the mountains, that's what it had evolved to. You really didn't know the difference in Sunday night and Wednesday night, uh, except for most time on Sundays they still had their Sunday morning clothes on. You know, I mean that was it. That was the only difference. Um, And and so there's no set way. Most churches or a lot of churches have taken Wednesday nights to a Bible study, and um, that's typically what we do. Uh, but but what would happen is times you, folks farm and folks had busy lives. Uh, you would see you would see churches pause altogether during harvest season, during crop season, uh, in the summertime, which is that's that's a reason that you see churches will pause Wednesday night during summer months. Um, but having said that, I, I just I felt led that uh, you all have been so faithful. The numbers have continued to grow. That uh, I'd give you a little break, uh, some on in, on Wednesdays in in February, and uh, we'll try to pick it back up full steam ahead in March, and maybe do an every other month thing like that. One month we'll go every single Wednesday. One month we'll go every other Wednesday, and that. That gives you a little respite. You are faithful, and uh, and as a result, I'd like to reward that faithfulness and give you a little respite every now and then. So, do remember uh, some of our prayer requests. We've got Miss Betty recuperating, and we thank God for her and love her. We uh, have Miss Ronnie going into surgery very soon. Do pray for her. Miss Angela uh, is is had a had a heck of a bout with with the surgery on her foot. Do pray for her. Miss Rita uh, is undergoing pre-surgical tests, so do remember her. Um, and so just remember all of these these physical situations. Remember Miss Tammy. I, I mentioned uh, her on Sunday. Mike uh, requested prayer for her and. Uh, I've I've prayed for her this week, and so we just we we got several uh, physical situations that we're praying about, 
So remember all of them. Then remember Sunday morning service. I'm, I'm so excited. We are dealing with the presence of God. The presence of God in our lives. Wanting it, needing it, desiring it. Uh, what it means, what it is. Feeling and experiencing and knowing and recognizing His presence. That's, that's what we're dealing with. This coming... Uh, Sunday morning podcast Sunday night and uh, so I'm excited I love our church I, I thank God for where we are I'll make a statement here and it, it some may understand it some may not I feel better as a pastor and as a pastor I um, I look at spiritual temperatures spiritual temperature of a church. And right now, since probably the first of the year, our spiritual temperature as a church has has been as good or better than at any time since we've been established. I know, and I'm, I'm getting ready to talk about this in John 4, I, I know folks like crowds and look at crowds and the modern-day church um, views success as a, with a crowd, but I don't want the wrong crowd. And the Lord knows how to do pruning, and the Lord knows how to to remove what needs to be removed, so the spiritual temperature can be what it needs to be. And right now, spiritually, we're at a very good place. Uh, folks are. I, I get a lot of feedback. And it's not I'm mad about this or I'm upset about this. And this one's made me mad. And that that was my feedback for about a year and a half. And that's hardly, that's never my feedback anymore. The feedback right now is always a question about the Bible, question about the scriptures. Pray about this matter. Pray that I'll grow. Help me study, preacher. Give me study ideas. That's that's this. It's the feedback that we're getting right now. And I love that. Our spiritual temperature is better than it's ever been. And for that, I'm encouraged. I'm excited and I'm thankful. John chapter number four. John chapter four in the blessed word of God. When therefore, verse one, the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. He left Judea and he departed again into Galilee. Why would he do this? Because Jesus wasn't concerned with a crowd. In fact, he made every attempt possible in his ministry to avoid crowds. Why? Because his objective was not a crowd. His objective was to train disciples that they may turn the world upside down, establishing the church. That was his whole objective. Yes, he saved many. He's getting ready to save a a Gentile here in our text. He'd done many wonderful works, as John will say later in the book, that uh, it, 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 there's no pen, it, even heaven itself, 
the world itself could not record everything wonderful that he did. He did all of that. He was the greatest man that ever lived, and he was completely God, and he was completely man. He was the most dignified. He was the most holy. He was the purest that ever lived. But he did not come to to establish a crowd. He came to train men and women to be disciples. That's my objective. That's my objective. Period. End of story. I love music. I'm preaching on worship on Sunday. I And I know there's all kinds of different churches that have different primary functions, uh, have different programs and agendas. Mine is to make disciples, to, to see your life enriched and blessed and you closer to Jesus than what you've ever been and you being a better Christian, a better person, a better disciple as a result. Pretty simple. Not always easy, but pretty simple. So, the Bible says that he must needs go through Samaria. Now, you've heard me say this many times. The quickest and the most direct path from Judea to Samaria, or, or from Judea to Galilee, was not to go through Samaria. However, Jesus is going through Samaria. The Bible says he must needs go through Samaria. So in this chapter, as far as we get, we're going to go for about 30, 35 minutes. We see his providence, we see his mercy, we see his sovereignty, and we see his grace. What do you mean? Well, the Bible says he must needs go through Samaria. That's not the direct path. So there's a distinct reason that he's got to go there and his timing has to be as such. And we're about to find out why. Verse 5 of John 4, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son. So it's a very historical place. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey. So there he is showing himself to be 100% man. Christ was 100% God, yet he was also 100% man. Demonstrating here his, his humanity being tired. He's wore out. And so he, he is wearied with his journey. He's sitting on the well. It's about the sixth hour about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. So here comes this woman from Samaria. It's very very important that we gather where she comes from. She is uh, a Samaritan, meaning she is part Jew, uh, part Gentile. Just because she has some of that Jew blood in her don't mean the Jews are going to accept her. In fact, to them, she's a half-breed, and she's not worthy to be spoken to. So there's a lot working against this woman. Number one, she's a Samaritan. We're getting ready to find out a lot about her personal life. And we're about to find out that Jesus shouldn't even be approaching her, talking to her by the Jewish law, by the custom. Not the law, but the custom. Now watch this. John chapter number 4, John 4, 
verse number seven. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. He's striking up a conversation. He's a man, she's a woman. For his disciples were gone away in the city to buy meat. So they've gone away to buy meat. Jesus is thirsty. There's a little separation between the two. It's just he and this woman. That's how Jesus deals with you. That's how Jesus deals with people. He deals with you one-on-one, where you are, at your level, so you can accept him. You never have to worry about him going over your head. You never have to worry about him not meeting you where you are. He will meet you where you are, one-on-one, to get you to the place that you accept him. And he accepts you. Entering into a relationship with him. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask this drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So he, he, she's telling him, I, What are you doing even talking to me? Jews and Samaritans aren't supposed to be talking. I'm a woman. You're a man. We're not supposed to be talking. Look around. It's midday. Um... I mean, gosh, we're not supposed to be doing this. Scandalous almost. Man, woman, Jew, Gentile, and she's a woman that's noted to kind of, she's had five husbands and, and she's got another man that's not her husband now that may or may not wind up being her husband. So watch. Jesus answered her, And said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So now he's turning this conversation around on her. He's saying, look. He's saying, I'm asking you for something to drink, basically to strike up conversation with you in order that we might take this conversation further, that I can change your life and save your soul and you can have a relationship with the God that created you. And he's saying here that if you knew who I was, you would be asking me to drink because I'd give you living water. This is beautiful. This is how Jesus works. He reels you in. He entices you. He intrigues you. Jesus is a gentleman, and when he moves on your heart, when he works in your life, he doesn't storm in. He he doesn't storm in. He doesn't storm in. He comes in as a gentleman. He works as a gentleman. And notice how he works with her. He is starting a conversation, and as he starts that conversation with her, she begins to take it a little further and she begins to question, what, what are you talking about? Why are you talking to me? And then Jesus says, look, let me, let me point this out to you. Live in water. Verse 12, art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? So notice what she does. She starts invoking religion. She starts invoking her family. And you know, I see that a lot of times 
when the Lord starts dealing with people, when the Lord starts working in the hearts of people, the first thing they'll do is they'll start invoking religion. Well, I've been going to this church all my life. I was in the womb in this church. Or they may say something like, well, my mom and dad went to this church, and my grandma and grandpa and my great-granddaddy started this church, helped establish it. That's, that's what she's doing here. She is invoking her religion. She is invoking the religion of her family. But I've got news for you, folks. That doesn't mean she's got a relationship with him. Your great-great-grandparents, your grandparents, your parents, your cousins, your aunts and uncles, and everybody you know and kin to could walked with God and been a, been a part of establishing a church. That don't make you have a relationship with God. Matter of fact, that don't make, make them have a relationship with God. Jesus deals with everyone on an individual basis. So, verse 13, Jesus answers her religious dispute. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, just like we do with water. I drank water yesterday. I've been thirsty today. I drank water this morning. Not much, usually Diet Coke. But either way, we drank this morning. We get thirsty again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So the first thing he tells her is that if you if you partake of this water that I want to give you, number one, you'll never thirst You'll never thirst again. You'll never, you'll never need again. You'll be content with what I give you. But not only that, the reason you won't thirst again is because this water will be in you. This well will be in you and it will spring up and out of you into everlasting life. So this well, this reservoir is going to come from the inside. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So she wants it now. She wants what he's offering. She wants what he's asking her and inviting her into. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Now, why would he do that? Because he's already broken protocol by talking to her. It's not now as if he needs her husband there to pray with her. The reason is, is because Jesus pulls back every layer that we have guarded. She tried the religious angle and Jesus peeled it back. Now, he's peeling back her personal life. He says, go call your husband. He knows good and well. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. Now something I want to address here about this whole quote-unquote two living wives or three living wives. Okay, I'm, I'm not going not gonna to dwell on it, but I do want to hit it. 
I remember when I was coming through, you'd hear people, you'd hear preachers and church, some church members, usually it was preachers, they'd say, oh, such and such has got two living wives or she's got two living husbands. Well, I guess they never, they, 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 they never read this verse. Look at this verse, verse 18, for thou hast had. Do you see that? That is past tense. In fact, the Old Testament calls calls it a former, a former spouse, a former wife, a former husband. Okay? There's no such thing as two living wives. Okay? Marriage is not a perpetual or a spiritual relationship. It is a physical relationship entered into between a man and a woman. Okay? And understanding that when a bill of divorcement is written, then that person whom you are divorced from is no longer your husband or your wife. And I know what the religious community says. Oh, but in the eyes of God. No, look, this is Jesus talking. Thou hast had, meaning no longer are they. And now you got someone that's not yet your husband, that's not your husband. But notice the reference to the spouse is past tense. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Just something for you to take home. Okay. Verse 19, now she's like, okay, this guy knows a lot about me. The woman saith unto her, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And notice what she said. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Oh, she she now is invoking religion again. She's re- invoking her family again. And you say that Jeru- in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what, We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. Okay, beautiful. God the Father is a spirit. Jesus Christ is in the flesh. There is also a Holy Spirit. Okay? That's the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is a spirit, and they that worshiped him, I'm going to to preach this Sunday morning, must worship him in spirit and in truth. Those are two elements that must be required at worship. I'm not going to belabor that point tonight because I'm I'm preaching it Sunday morning, but you must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, notice this dialogue, this going back and forth. He's dealing with, but notice how it's going. He's dealing with her spirituality. He's dealing with her spiritual temperature. He's dealing with her spiritual place. She's always going back to religion. We see it again. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, Messiah's cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he tells us all, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Okay, so now they've established God the Father being a spirit. 
But now they're establishing that there's going to come a Messiah. She believes there's going to come a Messiah. That Messiah is going to tell us all things. And Jesus now makes the statement, I am he. And upon this, so now his disciples walk up. What a time. Man, they had timing, didn't they? Actually, Jesus had timing. This is all design providence. And upon it, and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. They couldn't believe it. Why? Because it was against protocol. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Why talkest thou with her? Now, they weren't about to question him. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out in, out of the city and came unto him. So notice what happens with the woman. She leaves her water pot. She come for water. She come for a physical need. She come for a distinct need. She come to gather water. When she left, she didn't take the water pot with her. Not only did she not take it empty, she didn't take it at all. Why? She had no more need of the water pot because just like Jesus told her, ye shall have that river of living water coming up out of you. It shall spring up out of you into eternal life. So what she has is now on the inside and no longer does she have a need of a water pot anymore because she has living water that will never run dry. And notice the second thing she did. She went to the men of the city whom she wasn't supposed to be talking to and said, Come see a man. She begins to witness. She begins to tell others the Messiah is here. That one. So what, what's, what's going on here? Well, you remember what John the Baptist was doing? Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was proclaiming to everyone, this is him. This is the Messiah. This is the one I pro we've prophesied about. This is the one we've preached about. He's here. Notice what the woman's doing. She's doing the same thing John the Baptist is doing. She's going around telling others, telling others, come see a man. The Messiah is here. Well, a woman shouldn't preach. Oh, look, woman don't need the pulpit. Okay? She's not. She's not the pastor. She's not to have, to have authority over men. She's not to, to, uh, to supersede authority over men. We understand all that. But as far as proclaiming the Word of God to people out in the community, to tell them the lost about Jesus, you bet your bottom dollar she has every right and obligation to do so. And if she's saved, she'll tell others. She'll want to tell others about this man, Christ Jesus, that's done so much for her. That's what this Bible is teaching us right now. So, as we come to this, now she goes and proclaims, and she, she's going around telling it, and she's telling what's going on in his disciples. Disciples. Verse number 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. Lord, we went and got meat. Won't you eat? He said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. 
Therefore said he the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him ought to eat? <laughs> Poor old disciples, they're so they can be so ignorant sometimes. And and they start looking around, well, who brought him something to eat? Why ain't he eating? Why ain't he hungry? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. My concern is to do the will and the work of God. So good. So good. Um let's see, we got a few more verses. Let's let's go a little bit further. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. That means they're ready. That means if they're white, that means the blooms and the blossoms are out and they're ready. And that's an old saying for you and I as Christians. The fields are white in the harvest. They're ready. Now let me say something about this. I know in my lifetime, I know in my lifetime, let me just, let me, this is the lesson. It is time to quit fussing about Hollywood. It's time to quit fussing about the world. It's time to quit fussing about politicians, Washington. It's time to quit fussing about all the talking points that they drive down your throat all the time and be praying for people's salvation. Because at no other time have we seen the fields as ripe for harvest as right now. I know it's bad. We don't know what's coming next. But I can tell you there's never been a greater time and a more opportune time to try to get some of these people saved as right now in the history of America. I'm not saying the world. The world has seen some pretty dark and bleak times. But America herself has probably experienced in the, the darkest times that we've ever experienced. So what are we going to do? We're going to sit around and grumble and fuss and fight and picket and stand and do all of these things. Yes, our job is to go to the fields and glean Glean. You know when you go to your field, you go to your field on the job. You go to your field in the community. You go to your field at the restaurant. You go to your field at the grocery store. You go to your field where you are. That's the field. That's the field. That's the objective. I'm so over and beyond Christians politicking and going on about politics. Go to the field and get them to Jesus. You say, I can't save them. Nope, but you can try to glean them and you let Christ bring them in. Just your field. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is the message of John chapter 4. For you see, Jesus went out of his way. He took the long way around because he had an appointment providentially to meet a woman to tell her about himself. And by the time he was done with her, she left her water pot. So what do we learn from that? Here's what we learn. 
Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, just ex- just exposed her to himself. He exposed her to his love, his compassion, the fact that he shouldn't have been talking to her by protocol, but he was. It was an outcast of society. So maybe, just maybe, someone we shouldn't be talking to, someone we wouldn't want others to see us talking to, someone we wouldn't want others to see us associate with, just maybe, in God's providence, He lets your path cross with theirs and you can present Jesus to them. That's the message. It was all providential. It wasn't a called visitation meeting. It was providence in the fact that Jesus went to the well. He saw the woman there. A conversation ensued and a soul was saved. Get out in your field. Let God do the work. Allow your path to cross. It happened to me today. I'm recording this on Wednesday at 2.20. This morning about 10 o'clock at Lowe's, it happened to me. There was no visitation called. There was no program called. God in His providence allowed me to cross paths with an individual I hadn't seen in years. And I got to witness, got to tell him what God's done and going to do and what God can do. John chapter 4, this is part A. Next time we'll get into the remainder of the chapter. But that's the lesson he's leaving his disciples with. They come back when all of that was ending. They've got food on their minds And he said, my food, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Good night. God bless. I love each of you. I'll see you Sunday morning at 930.